Oh, what beautiful singing. Thank you for singing this morning. You know, I've had this cold the last several weeks, and so when I have that, I can't sing loudly because I start coughing, and I don't want to do that. And today, I think it's gone because I just got to sing. It was just beautiful to hear your voices. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and uh, the whole chapter, we're going to focus on one verse, uh, really one phrase, but just find Romans chapter 12. And I want you to know that we began each year with a season of prayer called Devoted to Prayer. On your way out of the gathering hall today, you're going to find these brochures, booklets, prayer guides, I don't know what to call it, this. You're going to find it at the back doors as you leave today, and we want you to take one home with you because, and read it today because starting tomorrow, we have 21 days of guided prayer for Grace Community Church to begin our year. I'm going to talk about it more in just a moment because this whole message today is going to be about prayer. But make sure on the way out of the uh, the building today, you get one of these prayer guides. We do this every year. We start the year calling ourselves to pray. Why? So that we will have a reminder to keep us praying all year long we have a lot to do we have a lot to do we talked last week you remember Jesus gave us the great commission make disciples of all nations we have a lot to do it is from God and we can't do any of it without God I believe it was Augustine who offered up the great prayer. Command what you will to God. God, command what you will, but grant what you command. He knew that God gave commands for the church, but he knew that the church can't do the commands without God. That's why we pray. Why do we start the year with an emphasis on prayer? Because the Bible reveals that God wants his children and his church and his congregations to be constant in prayer. God wants to hear our voice. God wants to respond to us. God wants to work in us and through us. God commanded us to be constant in prayer. So why do we pray? We pray to obey God. It's that simple. Prayer is what God wants. Prayer is what God made the way for. Prayer is what God helps us do so that we can do what he's called us to do. Now, over Christmas, my wife, Beth, gave me a monocular. It's just a half of a binocular. And she gave it to me so that I could zoom in on that single bird in a large tree, in a larger wood, against a larger landscape. Today, we're going to zoom in on one phrase from one chapter of a whole book in the big old Bible. The phrase is this, be constant in prayer. We're going to read the whole chapter, so if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. And be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. <clears throat> the Bible is a written record in both history and in theology of how the one living and true and righteous God makes unrighteous people right with himself. That is what we would call the landscape. That's the big picture. A righteous God making unrighteous people right with himself. For us, it all started in a perfect garden with God who created two people in his image, two people who had the capacity to obey the Lord the Lord had commanded them to do so, but they did not. They, Adam and Eve, were tempted by one who was already in rebellion against God, the evil one, the devil, who questioned God's character and God's commands so that they no longer trusted God. 
That's where the sin began. And they asserted themselves above God, in fact sinned, and in doing so they brought sin and they brought sinfulness into this world and into human nature. And now the whole human race by nature is in rebellion against God and is dedicated to self-lordship is in sin. But God, through many prophecies beginning when the sin began in Genesis 3, and promises and actual people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Israel and David, God moved his plan forward to the coming of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, God and man, who would atone for our sins on the cross. That means die on the cross in our place for our sin, taking our penalty upon him that by faith in him, our sin, the penalty against it would be removed from us. And he did this in a way that brought to us salvation. His plan, God's plan is to put people who are sinful back in right relationship with him through Jesus Christ's death. It's an act of grace, and everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord receives the forgiveness of sin and is made right with God. Now, what I just did is I just zoomed from the whole landscape down to the book of Romans. In fact, you might not have realized it, but I just zoomed in to the third chapter of Romans where the plan of God to make unrighteous people right with himself is most clearly laid out. This book of Romans, the first half, the first 11 chapters, is a long presentation of the sovereign, merciful, gracious plan of God to make sinful people right with himself. The second half of Romans, starting in verse 12 and on, is how these people who are already made right with God, already Christians, by His grace, are now supposed to live. Once we're in a right relationship with God, by grace through faith in Christ, we're called to live like that. We're called to live in relationship with God. We're called to live a certain way. In short, we're called to live obediently not by the power of our own will that failed Adam and Eve back in the garden now Romans tells us that we are called to live obediently to God by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and the power of the new birth given to us and Romans tells us what that life is like he says Romans 12 we just read it says things like this <clears throat> Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. You know the old saying that children used to say to their parents when the parents would say, you can't do something or why do you want to do something? And they would say, well, everybody's doing it. 
And the parent rebukes the child for that and turns right around and does it. Because everybody's doing it. Just don't be conformed to the world. Live transformed as new creatures by the renewing of your mind. He says, we just read it, think soberly about yourself. Don't be drunk on self. He says, use your gifts, your resources to serve. Love well. Be hospitable. Show affection. I love that. Shake a hand. Care for someone. Be zealous for good works. Live together in peace. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't be proud. Don't return evil to evil people. Overcome evil with good. See, we're tightening the focus. We're getting down to the way we live. And I'm going to zoom in right now on verse 12. Just take a look at it. It's a short verse. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now these three, rejoice, be patient, and be constant in prayer, are probably grouped together because of their close relationship. In other words, constant prayer is the way we remain in hope and in joy in our tribulations. And what I want to do is take that little phrase, constant in prayer, and I want to zoom in even tighter so that it will be our single command. It is our single command today like that bird perched on the tree of Romans so that we can see what God is calling us to do. Be constant in prayer. Prayer is the constant for the children of God. Prayer is the constant for the congregation of God. We could go so far as to say that the reason for that landscape of salvation, God making unrighteous people right with himself, the reason is so those people can pray. Expand your view of prayer right now. Don't think of prayer as just asking for God, asking from God for stuff. Think of prayer broadly. Right now, think of it as a relationship. Think of it as the way the relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ is even carried out. That, that kind of prayer is the very reason that Jesus died for us. To bring us into this relationship. Prayer is the constant for the Christian and for the, for the congregation. But it's not a given. It's only a constant as we obey the command to pray. There are many Christians and many congregations that are trying to live without praying. Prayer is the constant. Prayer is work. It says be constant. We'll look at that more closely in a moment. But if you think of some other translations, you would hear things like, read some other translations, you'd hear be devoted Persist in. Persist in. So you're doing push-ups. That's your New Year's resolution. I know it is. And you get to six. And your friend or your spouse or your child says, persist. 
go to seven, eight, and you say this is getting hard. Well, it's because it's hard. It's work. Be devoted, persistent, keep on. In fact, the book of Ephesians places prayer in the context of spiritual warfare. It's, it's work. Paul says there's a man, there's a man that he mentioned in the book of Colossians named Epaphras. He said, he struggled on your behalf in prayer. It's work. Other verses tell us, use these phrases. Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. In everything with prayer. Luke 18, Jesus told a parable to his disciples to the effect that they ought always to be in prayer and not lose heart. Now, are you starting to get the impression that the Lord wants us to pray? And here in the text today, we see it this way. Be constant in prayer. Three parts to that. What is the prayer part? What does it mean to be constant in prayer? And then we're going to close with some thoughts on how to pray. What is prayer? I want to keep it simple. Prayer is communication with God. It's that simple. But prayer is not just communication with yourself. Prayer is not just communication with your own thoughts. Now, I often start out praying and end up doing something else. You've heard me say it before. The nice word would be musing. Really, it's brooding. I'm in my own head. I'm wrestling. I'm having conversations with people that don't exist. And I think, oh, I'm supposed to be praying. Sometimes, sometimes if I get two minutes of prayer out of 20 minutes of attempt, I'm happy. Prayer is actual communication with God. It's talking. It is processing, but with God. It's dialoguing. It's asking God questions that he'll help us and clear us up. It might include praising and thanking God and rejoicing for things. It certainly includes confessing sin and need and longing to God. It includes asking things and searching them out and seeking the Lord. The Psalms tell us that prayer, this kind of communication, is a crying out to God. How long, O Lord, once again, O Lord. It's interceding for other people, pleading on their behalf. It's asking God for things. There's an element even of listening in prayer to quiet your mind and your heart so that you can receive what he says in the word prayers communication with God if you're new to this maybe you're a new Christian maybe you've been a Christian a long time but you only thought that prayer was something you do at church worship services and you say no I'm going to try to become a prayer let me tell you it might be awkward at first that's the family dinner isn't it that's the Thanksgiving dinner. You show up and everybody's looking around and saying, who's going to bless the meal? It's the obligatory prayer. Nobody wants to, but it's Thanksgiving. In my world, I'm the pastor, so it always comes to me. <laughs> but you get asked, and then you get sweaty palms. Well, maybe it's going to be awkward with just you and God. And you say, I want to learn to pray. I want to pray this year, but it's awkward. I don't know what to say. Give it time. 
It's a relationship. It's communication. It's, it's learning. There's a lot of growth in it. There's learning. It becomes fluid. It becomes natural. It may be organized. We read or prayed the Lord's Prayer this morning, just a few moments ago. But most of the time, prayer, this communication with God, is just the language. It's the language of personal relationship with Him. Prayer is communication with God. Still on this prayer part, prayer, what is prayer? Prayer is possible through Jesus Christ. Prayer is something we do through Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ did something so that we can pray. We've already said it. You've heard this probably three times already today through Josh or in the baptism or in the songs. You've already heard it, but think of it again, okay? Prayer is something we do because of something Jesus did for us. What did Jesus do for us? Jesus died on the cross to remove our sin. Now think of it. Sin is the barrier between a human being and God, and we're supposed to pray? Well, something has to be done before we can pray. A barrier has to be removed before we can have this free-flowing relationship of prayer with God. What happened? Jesus removed our sin when he paid its penalty on the cross. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. I'm coming to you, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, who died for my sin. And he says, I know he died for your sin and the sin barrier has been moved. Come in. But there's a second thing. Jesus, in his name, gave us, grants to us, a positive righteousness. He doesn't make us in our personality or in our moral character righteous. He just credits his righteousness to us so that now we're standing before God and we say, hey, Lord, we're praying in Jesus' name, Father, because your Son has both removed our sin as the barrier and actually granted to us a positive righteousness because only the righteous can come before God. I know you're confused right now. I can see it in your eyes. You're saying, I'm, not, I'm unrighteous. I, I don't feel righteous. I sin. Yes, that's why I said. It's not that he changes your moral character to make you into a righteous person before you can pray. It's that he actually credits or gives account of his own righteousness as if it is yours. And you stand before God now in a status of positive righteousness, not your own, the righteousness of Christ, so now you can pray. Sin removed the righteousness of Christ. These two realities make it possible for us to even come into the presence of God and sing and pray and fellowship with Him. Which leads me to say, this is a sermon on prayer, I know, but it leads me to say, become a Christian. Become a Christian. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Trust him to forgive you and to wash you. He will. He'll make you clean. Like that water up there, representative, Josh said it, representative cleansing. He'll make you clean. And in making you clean, he'll also grant you a status, a standing, I should say, with God of right standing, of righteousness. You'll be reconciled to God Almighty, the creator of the universe. And then you'll be able to pray. You'll live a life of prayer. Become a Christian today. And Christian, do the mental work. Do the spiritual work of remembering that when you pray, you're there in Jesus' name. 
Say it out loud. Remind yourself. You may go to prayer and feel so you know, lethargic and disconnected and struggling and confused, and then you just do the mental, spiritual work of saying, I am here in the name of Jesus. In fact, what I would encourage you to do is to start, not end your prayers within the name of Jesus, I pray. And Christians do that, looking at the clock. I'm kind of going to town on this particular point. I didn't mean to, but let me just add a little bit here that's not written down. Christians always in their prayers with, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And he just rattled off the tongue. You have no idea what they're talking about. It's like, the, it's like the little magic stuff you throw on the end of the prayer. Here's what I would suggest. I would first of all suggest that you take what we've said this morning and spend a little bit of time really thinking about what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. And then I would suggest that you start your prayers with father i am before you in prayer in the name of jesus he died for my sin he granted me the righteousness i'm standing before you in his name start that way prayer moving on prayer is aided by the holy spirit we don't know how to pray that's romans 8 I mean, we know how to pray, but we don't know how to pray. We know to pray, but we get in those times where we're just not sure and we're trying to get something out and we don't know. And guess what? It's okay. The Holy Spirit knows our weakness. He prays for us. He prays with us. He prays in us. The Holy Spirit, this is amazing. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit prays prayers that are understood by God the Father every time we utter our own feeble prayers. Prayer has results. God answers prayer. Now I'm going to clarify that. What I mean, what we mean is God responds to prayers. We often think God answers prayer means God gives us, gives us what we ask, when we ask, in the way we ask it. Exactly. That's not what we're referring to. God is a person. He's a personality. God is not a machine. God is a father who responds appropriately and helpfully to the prayers of his children for good. So when we say God answers prayer, we mean God responds to prayer. God knows what is best for us. God knows the purposes for which he is working in us and through us. God knows the right time to respond and the right way to do it. God even grants things that we can't imagine and God grants things that we don't have an appreciation for sometimes. Like, God is interested in, in keeping us in faith. There are mysterious things that we don't know about prayer, but we know that the reason God gave us prayer is so that we would remain in faith. God is interested in conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what's going to matter when we meet the Lord. 
God is interested in using us now, in this life, in his kingdom work, in the world and in the lives of other people. So when we pray God responds, maybe he doesn't always give us exactly what, when, and how, but he responds in ways that he knows will do these things, make, keep us in faith, make us like Christ, use us in his kingdom work. Prayer. Prayer is communicating with God through Jesus helped by the Spirit with God's response. So the big, next big thing I wanna talk about, that's prayer. The next thing is, what does it mean to be constant in prayer? I wanna keep this simple again. It means pray all the time. In every season of life, it means pray in all things. In every situation of life, it means pray along with doing everything else we do. We're called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples. We talked about that last week. This is our calling from Jesus Christ. And hear me loud and clear. We cannot make disciples. So it doesn't make sense. You're called to make disciples. It's a command to make disciples, but you can't make disciples. Exactly. It makes perfect sense. We pray because God has given us a task that we cannot do without him. So we have a lot to do. And we pray all the way through. Sometimes we can't do much of anything. And I've been there and you've been there and every person has been in some place in life where there's absolutely nothing you can do about what's going on. So you pray. And sometimes we can and we must do a lot of things. And we keep praying. We don't let Prayer is not all we're supposed to do, be a cover for not praying. And we don't let, I'm just going to pray about it, be a cover for not doing what we're supposed to do. We don't treat prayer like it's doing nothing. We pray all the way through everything we're called to do. Another way we might say that is we do stuff while we remain constant in prayer. We pray, constant in prayer. J.I. Packer wrote a little book, a big book, I should say, called Knowing God. If you've read it, you're chuckling at the little book slip I just made. He said in the beginning of that book, Knowing God, that he wrote it for travelers. I love this. I've lived with this illustration for a long time because it's very helpful. He said he wrote the book for travelers. And then he said this, he said, balconiers, balconiers are people who sit in their nice clothes on balconies and they rock in chairs and do whatever they do and they look out over the street and they watch the travelers and they ask all the theoretical questions about traveling, but they never get off the balcony. Travelers, on the other hand, travelers are the people with dirty feet, blisters, busted wagon wheels, but they're out there. They're not asking the theoretical questions. They're asking the practical questions, like, can I go on another day? Like, where's the water coming from? But they have a lot of experience. I've wanted to keep this message today for travelers. I wanna keep it action-oriented. I've kept a lot of the deeper questions to a minimum. In fact, I, I'm not asking hardly any of them. Like, how does prayer work after all? Sorry, not going not to answer that question. 
What about praying for others and their own responsibility and their decision-making power? I don't, not going to go there today. What about prayer and the sovereignty of God? Packer wrote a book on that. Go, go read that. It's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. So I thought it was about prayer. It is. It's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. But for some reason, it's a lot about prayer. So go read that. What constitutes an answer to prayer? Well, we talked about response. But here's the deal. We want to be travelers. There are lots of questions and probably no answer to any of the, the theoretical questions about prayer will ever satisfy us. There's just always going to be some mystery here, folks. You can't wait till the mystery's cleared up before you just get to praying. And no answer, regardless of what you hear, should ever stop you from praying. Getting lost in the mysteries can really be a way of just avoiding prayer. Ultimately, it comes down to this. Will we trust and will we obey? Will we trust and will we obey? So finally, what I want to do is talk about obedience. I want to talk about praying. This is the action, okay? And that's what this devotional guide is going to help you with. So take it when you go home today and read it. That's what I want you to do. I want you to read it today. It starts tomorrow. Uh, read it today, get it familiarized, familiarize yourself with it, pick it up in the morning, and join us for 21 days of prayer. Get a prayer partner. Pray with your family. Do it in the morning so that it'll last through the day. Do it for 21 days so it'll last all year. But for the remainder of our time, a few minutes, I want to talk about four words for praying. This is an action oriented let's get after it prayer four words and here they are number one trust number two in trust number three ask number four receive simple trust in trust ask receive trust to pray brothers and sisters we have to trust God if we do not trust God we will not pray. Trust leads to obedience. To trust and to obey is the foundation of prayer. What do we need to trust about God? We need to trust that God loves us. Children, see how great a love the Father has for you that you could be called his child we are the sons and daughters of God by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ you have to trust that he loves you listen to the Bible and listen to the Holy Spirit more than you listen to yourself and more than you listen to the world and more than you listen to the devil you have to trust that he loves you. And you have to trust that he's wise. He really does know what he's doing. It's a statement of faith, I know. And I so want to tell God how to do things every single day. But there's a place that we have to come to to pray 
where we're absolutely trusting that God is wise, that he's real. I know, if you stop, step back and think about this, this is absolutely nuts. I'm standing here as a man living in this generation, in this technological world, and I'm talking about talking to somebody we can't see. This is crazy if you're not a Christian. I'm standing here, a grown-up. I have a degree, a couple of them. And I'm talking about talking to a God we can't see and even believing that he loves us and that he's wise and that he will actually listen to us. Is this not strange to you? It should be. Unless we're Christians. We have to come to a point, we have to say, God, this is real, serious. Bring me to a point where I really believe that you love me. And I really believe that you are wise. And that I can trust your power. That's another stretch of faith. People, there's a book title, I think, I think, this is not in the notes, there's a book title, help me Josh, you probably know, When People Are Big and God Is Small. Is that the name of the book title? Well, it's a good, it's a good phrase. People are big in our minds. God is small in our minds. He is in mine. I have to repent of this all the time. So we're saying, God, get us to the point of trust that in your power, your love, your wisdom, power, and you put all of that together and we can trust God. And then we have to do it again. And five, five, I've timed, I can time it. I've got about 30 seconds to remain in trust before I'm slipping out and got to pull it back in. Trust. Then, next word was entrust. When you trust, you entrust. Entrust is active trust. Trust is, I see trust as like a posture of the heart. Active trust is more like a mental and heart activity. It's, it's the conscious giving over of all things to God. And you do that when you pray. So we say, Lord, when I'm out on my prayer walks, often what I will do is I'll say, Father, I entrust myself to you. First Peter, Jesus entrusted his soul to the Father at the crucifixion. Which means he trusted God's wisdom enough to entrust his soul, his whole being, physical body included, his whole being over to God. He gave it over. And First Peter calls us to do the same thing. Entrust yourself. In prayer, you entrust your circumstances to God. Can you receive a circumstance that you wouldn't choose if you believe that God in love, wisdom, and power was working for good in your life? We entrust other people to God. Yes, we want good for people, but we don't control people. We do not control people. 
we can entrust them to God. And God can go to work on them. Entrusting is the only way we're really going to seek to do God's will. Trust and entrust leads to ask. At some point, keeping it simple, at some point in prayer, you just got to ask God for something. You ask in his name. We already talked about that. Ask according to his will. See, I don't know what God's will is. You have a Bible. I do this. This is part of my prayer life, and I would encourage you to do it. When I'm praying for people, my children, my church, you, many of you by name, I can see your faces as I'm preaching to you now. I have prayed Bible verses into your life. Because I don't know what God's will is all the time, but I know he wrote a will. He wrote it down. And so I take a verse and I think of you and I think of this church and I think of people and I just say, Lord, would you do this and this and this? And I know because I'm praying the Bible, I'm praying according to God's will. And then I let the Lord take care of it. Because I've entrusted you too to the Lord. And then we ask for his glory. We come to a point, you see, this is a, rela- a relationship, isn't it? And we're processing it all the way through. And finally, don't we come to a point at the end of it, we say, God, this is all for your glory. Glorify your name. And then we, we receive. Receive. Remember, we get, but we get God's response, not always what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We get God's response And as God is responding to our prayers, even before we see it, we say, Lord, I trust your response because I'm trusting your love, your wisdom, and your power. Lord, I'm submitting to your response because I'm submitting to your love and your wisdom and your power. And we give thanks. Lord, I'm giving thanks to you. I'm giving thanks for your response. Whatever it is, I can't see it. Why? Because it's your love and your wisdom and your power. This is it, brothers and sisters. And we're being called. I'll close with this. This is serious business. I don't know if that landed on you last week when we talked about Emmanuel, God is with the sent ones, and we talked about the mission of the church is to make disciples. I don't know if the weight of that and the seriousness of that landed on you, but I promise you this is serious business because to make disciples means to go into enemy territory and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch Jesus rescue people from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of his beloved son and that will never happen without war. And Jesus shed his blood so that you could pray. The spiritual battle rages and you can either rage at it or you can beseech the God of the universe to intercede with a spiritual awakening this is serious business that we're talking about here the struggle is severe the struggle is for the souls of human beings And we have a lot to do 
as the church and as a local congregation. We have a lot to do in this disciple-making mission that Jesus has called us to do. And so we have to pray. Now, I love you, and I hope you get some inspiration and some comfort over the next 21 days, but I'm telling you, that's not why we wrote this. We wrote it so we could enter into the work of God, the kingdom of God on this earth, a church filled with the Spirit for the glory of God and the good of humans. That's why we wrote this. That's why we're praying. Let's do it. Father in heaven, thank you for your word today. Encourage us as we pray. We have no idea what the future is, Father, but we entrust it to you. We have no idea what the year ahead holds, but we entrust it to you. We trust you. And we ask that somehow today you would draw each of us, each believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, into some response of faith to what you've spoken. And if there's anyone among us today, Father, who has been stirred to come to you, to to seek you out, that, that would be made known this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.